When bank economists predict that house prices will fall, is it time to put your property search on hold and wait for a crash? Welcome to your first home buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now, we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today we're talking about the property cycle and what smart buyers do when the clock's about to strike 12. But before we get into that, <laughs> do you like that line, Megan? <laughs> What's Makes your... me laugh because I imagine there's a lot of people out there going, what property, what, clock, 12, what? <laughs> we might have us. to clarify that. Oh, <laughs> will be revealed. Uh, right, before we get into it, of course, what's your special house this week, Megan? You're sitting in front of something that looks like a hill with a rock on it. There is a house under that grass. So I've been a little bit interested. For those of you who tune in to watch on YouTube, I always have an interesting house. Sometimes they're quirky, unique. Sometimes they just have blown my socks off. I just realised I can't actually say the name of this particular house. It's in (laughs) Scotland is all I'm going to say. It's the Brocks of uh, Cogark. That's the wrong accent entirely. (laughs) And it's, you know, I've got Scottish heritage. I mean, look at my colouring. Hey, but I've got Buckley's have actually been able to pronounce that I, I really should have tried to work out how to say that first. But anyhow, it's in Scotland and this house was designed with a grassy roof uh, and it regulates the temperature. So a little cooler in summer, a little warmer in winter. And I just love the way it's, it's one of those few houses that actually does fit into the landscape. You know how sometimes you see on grand designs or something and the house is meant to assimilate and you know just be calmly part of the hillside and it's it's sticking out like a sore thumb this one really actually does look like it belongs there because they've used really large rocks as as part of the exterior um and it and it really i i don't know that there'd be a lot of natural light in there veronica but uh no beautiful um interesting home in the hill looks a little bit like um what are the Wombles? Do you remember the Wombles when you were a kid? It's like <laughs> a, a, a Womble would live wombles. in, in the, the a Womble would live in that. So that's for our older listeners. Um, 
it certainly blends into the hillside and it's a little bit like a grotto, like it's like cavey type thing. But I, I just can't help but wonder who needs to have cool air in summer in Scotland. I thought Scotland's summer was like our winter. <laughs> I think the warming aspect would be the most important one. Anyway. Very, very important. All right. So let's kick let's on with kick the on. topic of today. Yeah. <laughs> It's a common reaction when there are negative headlines. We have so many property-related headlines that in one news edition you can have, you know, prices set to skyrocket and prices set to crumble in the one publication. <laughs> um, but in talk of interest rate rises that you might be tempted to put your property search on hold and wait to see if prices will fall. But, Veronica, I'm not so sure that that's the direction that we think people should be going. No, and look, if you've listened to enough of our stuff, you'll know that we're not property people that go, oh, you can only go up, it's the only way, you know, just get on the ladder. We are very highly critical uh, thinkers and certainly very, very cognizant, very aware that mm. the property pro property market will at some point fall. I mean, because, mm. it, you know, the whole country's been on this basically upward, upward trajectory unless you're basically in a city apartment in what, Brisbane, Melbourne, Brisbane, or Sydney, pretty Melbourne, much. But Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> Darwin, you know. Um, <laughs> or when, unfortunately and very sadly, flood-affected properties now. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're, we're in the uh, middle of March and, and of course, there have been so many properties that um, have, have suffered significant inundation. And those properties will have a drop in their prices. There's, there's no doubt about it. So that's... Um, Maybe we need to have another topic. That's another episode, actually, about what happens in those areas. And 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 I yes. guess that's that's a very good actually, example. Actually, on Martin North on the twelfth of April, and that's what he wants to focus on is what's ah. going to happen to prices and, and flood-related properties. And I think what we need to talk about is due diligence as well, because mm -hmm. the reality is that um, you can avoid buying in a flood yep. area. Yep. Um, it's actually really easy to avoid. Yeah. And I'm actually amazed. I know we've just gone right off topic, but um, I'm amazed because I remember filming uh, the show up in Brisbane because it was a 2011, wasn't it, your last huge big floods? The last big one, yeah. Yeah, and We've I remember filming a year later, you know, and it, you honestly wouldn't see too much evidence of, if, you know, a year later you wouldn't yeah. see much evidence of there being these devastating floods. Mm, mm. But it was very much in people's psyche. But then mm. about five years after it that. Was fresh it was, at that point. Yeah, it was no longer in the psyche after five years, though. Yep. And we have short memories. So, yeah. But anyway, back on to. We digress. But there is so much that I, yeah, we, we, we do need to talk to about in that topic. So that's what we're going to record next week. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so, but the markets do sort of rise and fall, right? And even though over long periods of time, when you look at charts of the Australian property market, Sydney property market, Brisbane property market, et cetera, et cetera, you'll see that prices do trend upwards, but there's going to be little peaks and troughs sort of along that upward trajectory. And I'm not talking about individual properties here. I'm talking about sort of the market, you know, the whole market. markets, which yeah, of course we know yeah. doesn't exist. No. However, when you bundle everything in together, you can just sort of see what happens en masse in an aggregate. The thing is that you definitely don't want to get caught out when prices fall. And there'll be lots and lots of heading headlines when they do because that's what it was like for 2018 and half mm. of 2019. Mm. And what we want to talk about today is what actually happens when the market turns and give you some case studies from previous peaks because I like to collect this stuff. 
You most certainly do. I was just doing a quick little Google search for a property clock because I feel like I want to I want to clarify that for people. <laughs> <laughs> One thing about property um, cycles is that despite all the uncertainty in the world, buyer behaviour follows a reasonably similar pattern. Um, and supply and demand, of course, is one of the underlying factors that um, that influences buyer behaviour. But just in terms of that property clock, really quickly, what what it what it is is a way of a graphical representation of where different markets are according to whether they're um, peaking, which is twelve o'clock. Twelve o'clock <laughs> is a peaking market. Whether they're declining, which is three o'clock. Whether they're at the bottom or bottoming out, which is six o'clock or whether they're rising, which is nine o'clock, and, and each point in between. And, and what um, uh, property forecasters try to do is anticipate where on the clock we actually are. Now, the thing we want people to remember is nobody can pick when a market is going to peak and where it's going to fall. So it's a guesstimate. You can only know when those two things have happened after they've happened and you're actually on the other side of them. So we talk about a property clock and where we are. If if some of these markets are reach are, are moving towards twelve o'clock, we won't actually know when twelve o'clock has happened until we're heading towards one o'clock. Yes, <laughs> that's true. And then if it's a really tough, you know, a tough falling market, you'll have certain uh, analogies um, used, such as trying to catch a falling knife. How graphic is that? You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and FOMO turns to FONGO, you know, fear of missing out turns to fear of not getting out. And so it, it becomes <laughs> quite dramatic, right? <laughs> so let's We're talking I get, about property here. Like yeah, so let, but this is it's human behavior, right? So yeah, I mean, look, markets peak and trough, right? And they but they don't actually follow a set pattern. I mean, this property clock is a nice idea, um, but there's of, lots of variations within it. And not all markets are actually in sync with each other mm. and nobody actually knows for sure until it's happened like Megan was just saying. But, there, you know, there's times when even at the end of last year, you know, Brisbane was being was the strongest market in the country, other markets aren't doing as well. So mm-hmm. it's never the same everywhere. But if we sort of just run through the general sort of clock, if you like, what happens. Mm. So I don't know, between 9 and 12 o'clock, FOMO, you know, fear of missing out, Prices go crazy and then they get to a point where they sort of get too far and then you'll start to see negative headlines and then you'll start to see buyers getting nervous. And people coming out of the woodwork, you know, banks saying property prices are going to fall, forecasters, the, the taxi driver, the Uber driver, mm. they, you know, it's, oh, it's got to, everything's going to drop. Once you get advice from the Uber driver, you know it's time to turn off. <laughs> And one of the reasons, if you ask some of these Uber drivers, you know, why do you think it's going to fall? They go, oh, because it can't keep going. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, actually, that's sort of right, but that's sort of completely wrong as well. That That's, yes, it won't keep going at the crazy 25% growth in Sydney last year. What That, that too, that's way too steep. That just can't keep go- going. Mm. But that's not the reason that it stops, you know. Yeah. It's- <laughs> and, but, and, and what we're talking about here are indicators, aren't they? They're, they're things that we start to see in our 20-odd years in property. These are the things that we start to see when a market is heading towards a peak. They're indicators. Yeah. Um, buyers start getting a bit nervous. Uh, so where, where we might have seen... Now, 30 or 40 groups going through an open house and that resulting in 10 or 12 offers, 
buyers start to to just step back a little bit and say, hmm, I don't know about, you know, I don't know, I just, I just need a little bit of time to think about this rather than what has been happening in the, you know, around that 9 o'clock heading towards 12 o'clock where, where people are just, if we miss out on this, we're going to be looking for six months. This is the closest we can get. Let's throw everything, including this kitchen sink at it. And that's what pushes prices um, mm. so dramatically is that there are more people out there who want anything sometimes compared to what's actually available for sale. And, and the, the interesting thing at the moment is there are more transactions taking place in most markets than in any other peaking period, but there are so many more buyers than there has been in previous periods, which is why the, the demand is actually driving up. So the transactions are there. It's not like there's a lack of stock. There's just more buyers than there are than there is stock. Yeah, and there also is the thing is that the vendors start putting their property on the market. When these negative headlines start hitting, they start putting their property in the market because they think, oh, God, the peak's about now. Mm. I need to put my property on the market because I might miss it. I might miss yes. the boat. So they do that. And then often they then start to outstrip the market in terms of their expectations. Expect- Sometimes, expectations. Yeah. Yep. So if buyers do if start to get a crazy price, I'll yeah. sell it. Yeah. And they start getting nervous, the buyers start getting nervous and they start sitting back and they start thinking, oh, I don't, I'm not going to compromise on that main road home anymore. Or I'm not going to buy that one that's got the south-facing garden. Oh, wait, because look, there's more stock coming on the market yeah. and I can actually yeah. be picky again. And But those owners of properties that are compromised properties, often they don't recognise, or even if they do, they just think that somebody should pay stupid money for them. <laughs> and so you'll start to see that those properties start passing in. And that's what we're seeing, that the C grade, all the agents are saying to me, yeah, it's just normal times. A grade property is competitive. B's got one or maybe two buyers on it. We'll sell that prior to auction and the C's are passing in. Mm, so the clearance mm. rates fall, the days on markets for those properties that actually are private treaty and not going to auction, they get longer. So it takes longer to sell each property. Then that feeds into more negative feedback, more or less buyer confidence. Mm. And that continues until the property market is perceived to be good value again. Then mm-hmm. buyers start buying. We go beyond six o'clock. We start going to seven o'clock, eight o'clock, back up to nine o'clock, and the whole thing Things starts, starts all again. over again. <laughs> yes, and it is a reasonably predict- predictable cycle. But um, I-, I know that you and I have both found that over the last twenty years, the length of those cycles is actually getting shorter. Mm. Um, and a lot of that is driven by uh, an increased interest in in property generally, but low interest rates, which gives people a, a greater affordability um, to to get into the market. Uh, but but also, it it is almost like there's a psyche that says I am not successful until I own a property. So the pressure, the social pressure. Um, to actually participate in the property market and be an owner of a property is driving more buyers in that might have previously been a little bit footloose mm. and fancy free and travelled more. And, and COVID certainly has had an impact on that as well because less people are working overseas, they are putting down their roots and, and buying property in Australia. So it's actually brought more people to the marketplace than we would normally see at a, at a home buying age or an investing age. And because more people have saved money throughout the lockdowns as well. Yeah, so they've no oh, actually got money in the bank. I might do something with it. Yeah. You know, late in last year, 2021, the headlines started talking about falling prices. We started noticing that. But in mm. spring, particularly in um, particularly in Sydney, I don't know about in, in Brisbane so much, in Sydney and Melbourne definitely, 
the property market often slows down. And if you this go back to our episode interviewed you and Jared McCabe, who's mm-hmm. a advisor from um, Melbourne, Melbourne mm-hmm. at the end of last year, we talked about this. The cyclical or the seasonal, I should say, rather than cyclical. Mm. So you sort of got to, you know, it is quite complicated because you got to try to work out well what is seasonal versus what is cyclical. Um, and then many experts, you know, in the middle of last year were peaking that the market, sorry, predicting that the market would peak before Christmas. Mm. And so they were, and they were. But, you know, we're recording this in March 2022 and even while growth has slowed, you know, Sydney's only just shown a tiny little um, growth this year and it's actually shown its first negative month in 17 months. Oh, but the headlines around that were phenomenal. I know. It's like, oh, it's (laughs) all the toilet now. That one. (laughs) So we went up 25% last year, guys, you know. It's just so. I mean, this is the thing. It's they jump all over that, but the reality is that you know there will be properties, there will be people that have bought too close to the peak and have paid too much. And if they've bought a C grade property, mm. they and their circumstances change, they could lose money absolutely. But that's not what the people who listen to this podcast are going to do. No, but but it's something that we talk about and it's not just a market um, cycle thing. It is any point in time and, and, and we are going to do that flood one because it's very important. They are C-grade properties. And, and a mm. few people have said to me, Megan, um, is, is now the time to bag a bargain from a flood-affected property? Mm. And I've got to, I couldn't, I cannot tell you how many times I've had this conversation and talked about the fact that the last time we had such a rapidly rising market that flood affected properties were were deemed by buyers to be of equal value to non flood affected properties yep. was in 2002 mm. so it took 20 years for the prices to be considered equal but it, within that time we've had we've had three major floods so what has happened to those properties is they've done this 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 this, 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 and then they've had one peak. <laughs> so you have to be prepared to ride out more, more price more drops and downturns in order to get to this peak. But if you didn't sell that flood-affected property during that peak before this flood, you've just gone down again because they are the ones that are going to drop significantly in value. I don't know anyone who can time a market that well. We say property is a long game, but when you have a dud asset, you got to get the hell out of it. Get you know? rid and, of it, you know, because yeah, you're right. It's a roller coaster, and and the experts can't time it, right? I've, I can time it. I can see. <laughs> I can see lead indicators. Mm. And I can talk about lead indicators, and you can see them in your marketplace as well. And we're not talking mm. about the Australian property market because it doesn't exist. Talking it's just a way to dynamics. grab headlines. Mm. We're, we're talking about local markets, um, suburb by suburb and and property by property. So we can see indicators around those things um, and behaviour changes, but, you know, you know, I can't sit there hand on heart and go, well, you know, yeah, buy that, buy that cheap property now and uh, hold it for 20 years and you'll actually make some money out of it. You may not. That's where the focus is too much on the discount, right, the price yes. versus the quality of the asset. And Absolutely. look, I've had the same thing. So in Sydney, it's not so much, oh, I want to buy a flood afflicted property or get a bargain. It's, oh, might be time to buy a one-bedroom apartment in the city. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> no, they weren't good before. Still they're still C-grade. not good. Yeah, yeah. Nothing <laughs> they're just changed. overpriced at the moment. Because, they will come back. No, they're cheap. They're cheap. Oh, they're cheap. Yes. Yeah, they're cheap. 
you know, and it's like, oh, I, you know, I take advantage of somebody else's misfortune. That's really mm. what that's about. The, the mm. ambulance chasing ambulance chases. property yeah. investors and they're wrong. They are wrong. Yeah. Let's you know, look at some case studies, Veronica. What do yeah. you got for us? Okay, so I I love sort of gathering data over time and, you know, when I first started doing this, oh, God, a long time ago, but one, one that I thought was very interesting was when I looked at the GFC crash, right? Mm-hmm. So that was, mm-hmm. and that literally was only about two or three months that lasted for October to December 2008, right? So the GFC hit, everyone, that's it. Life's over as we know it. And that's I actually thought that even though I should know better, but I did. And, you know, I, I looked at individual properties. There were some people who who got, I had a friend, they sold out of Sydney. They went, it's like, it's as it. it's never going to get any better. Mm-hmm. They sold out and left and went regional, right? And I'm like, what do you mean it's never going to get better? It'll recover. And it did, you know, and it recovered so quickly. In fact, I've got two examples of people who bought property in their worst time, right, within mm-hmm. 15 months, right, one had made a 38% gain and another one had made a 44% gain mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they took advantage of, but they bought A-grade property in A-grade area it just happened to be people panicking and bailing out because of all the negative headlines mm, mm. they bought and then they on two of them that on sold within 15 months. Now, similar gains have been experienced by people who bought at the very beginning of COVID, mm-hmm. you know, March, April 2020. Same sort of that, that price falls then actually it only came off in Sydney anyway about 4 or 5%. That was it. And then it bounced right back. Mm. Um, but some people were brave enough to say, you know what, if I buy an A-grade asset in an A-grade area and I get a discount because other people are panicking, bring it on. Yeah. But if I'm yeah. also buying an A-grade asset in an A-grade area and I'm going to live in it for a long period of time because it's my home, who A, who cares because I'm living it a long time anyway, but B, I can afford to overpay a little bit for an A-grade asset because long-term it will outperform everything else in the area. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. There's such good examples. And I have a personal example, actually. And, and that is I purchased in October 2020, uh, actually sold a property at the same time, purchased another one. And that's, that is now, that's had a 65% gain. Um, and it's, it's because I purchased just before things took off. Now, I couldn't have told you that that was what was going to happen. No. I didn't do that because I was timing the market. I did it because I was ready to buy. I was in a position to. I committed to the process and I didn't worry about the noise. And I think that's the important thing is to to push all of that other stuff, the headlines aside, all that sort of stuff. You buy when you can financially afford to, when it is part of your plan, and you don't try and time when things happen. If I thought I was being smart and the market was still going to go a little bit further backwards, I actually would have probably paid between 5 and 10% more by waiting a month. Mm. And who, yeah, you're never going to know when it's going to turn. You know, yeah. buyers who sat on their hands in 2011 and 2012, that's in Sydney, it was a very flat market. Mm. I actually bought, I've got another personal story too to add to your one. I bought an investment property in October 2012. Now, it had been flat as a tack, really difficult to find good property when the market's mm. flat too. So you've got to know when you find a good one and, and act on it because most vendors of really good properties 
they know they might not get the top dollar so they don't bother listing the property. So that's the other side of waiting. You know, you've got less stock to choose from. But this really good property came on and I went, look, I'm going to buy it. And so I did. I got every single cent of the growth over the, the next boom. I had no idea the property market was going to take <laughs> off in, in you know, 2013. But we know it will. At some point it will. That's the point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, people who sat on their hands in 2011 and 12 and then still didn't buy, still didn't buy, still didn't buy, between 2013 and 2017, many properties doubled in value. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And But you had to be you had to, to be win it. it. Yeah. 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 Just looking back and saying, I wish I'd bought them or it's got to slow down and drop eventually. Out of that double, double in value growth, you might drop 10%, 12%. Um, in the next downturn, but look at all of that opportunity cost of growth that you actually lost in the meantime. Well, that's it. And if I give you some more figures around there, so Sydney median price in that in that boom went up eighty nine percent, right? In the ensuing downturn, which went for two years, it came off fifteen percent, which is quite dramatic. Mm. But then it bounced back twelve percent in only nine months. And mm. once again, anyone trying to ride that wave would never pick any of those particular peaks or troughs. Yeah. And, of course, look, the one thing that every buyer wants to avoid is buying too close to the peak and immediately losing money. Yeah, right? yeah. And that is an issue. Of course, it doesn't feel nice, right? It doesn't feel nice at all. But it is really only an issue if, A, you buy crap and, B, you need to sell that Forced crap. to sell in a certain market. <laughs> Yeah, because you know it, it can't deny it's a possibility. In fact, I did some research on fifty properties that were purchased or at or near the two thousand seventeen peak in Sydney, and then mm. on sold while prices were falling. And the spoiler alert: yes, most did sell at a loss, but actually not all of them. Mm. Right. So whilst the Sydney median price went down fifteen percent in that period of time, some of those people actually made a little tiny gain. And I'm not talking about renovating and selling. I'm talking yeah. about in the Unimproved. same. Yeah. In the same. So it, this is not, it is not uniform. It, it, but it goes back to that, that point. If you buy the wrong property and you have to sell it quickly, you can get caught out. Um, and, and that's the thing that we talk about with timing is, is if you haven't got to sell at any point in time, then you can ride a market cycle. You can, you can get past three o'clock, you can make it to six o'clock and you can actually start to then ride the upswing if you've got a choice around when you, when you sell. There are circumstances where you don't have a choice and it, it might be divorce, it might be moving overseas or interstate or job transfer, um, what, whatever the case may be. So there are some circumstances that force you to sell at a particular point in time. Um, and if you've got, if you've chosen the right asset to start with, then the losses are going to be the most minimal of all sales in a, in a downturn market. I think another way to look at that too is that when you've got an A-grade property, a really good one, that's always going to be in demand. So in a hot market, you have 30 people on it. In a cold market, you might have three. Mm. You know, there's always buyers that will want it somewhere, right? Whereas yeah. if you've got a really poor grade asset, you won't be able to find a buyer at 6 o'clock on the property clock. Yes, Oh, and just... it can sit and stagnate for a very long period of time. And, and if you are in a forced sale situation, that can become very costly if you've just simply got to drop your price to meet the market. 
So time in, that's I in the market is way more important than trying to time the market or timing for the G on the end, the market, because mm-hmm. nobody, not even the experts can get the timing spot on. Yeah. And what has the biggest impact, as we've just said, is not often discussed in the mainstream media, right? It is that what you buy is what makes all the difference. Mm. And that's why if you're ready, you're financed, you need to continue looking rather than waiting for prices to fall because it's not about the price you pay, it's about what asset you buy. Mm, Yep. Seagrike property becomes, we talked about it, it becomes really, really hard to sell in a downturn. And and that that differential, the unrenovated properties um, <laughs> often fall quite sharply as well, particularly if there's a shortage of um, tradies and, and prices are, are high as they are at the moment. Um, but an A-grade property can go up in value even in a falling market. And it sounds counterintuitive, but if there is not enough of those A-grade properties and enough people looking for them, that's what puts the pressure on the A-grade properties, but takes a lot of pressure and a lot of buyers away from the B and C-grade properties. And, and you've got a case study around that, haven't you, from L- Lilyfield? Yeah, look, I, and I'll share the links for these as well if anyone does want to read about these. The Lilyfield case study is uh, basically two weatherboard houses in a suburb in Sydney called Lil- in Lilyfield, right? One of these houses I actually sold as a sales agent basically at pretty much at the peak in 2003, right? I remember this auction because this was a pretty little house, right? A little weatherboard cottage, very pretty, um, and but it had a really small living room, really small. Like that was sort of obvious, but Mm. the market was so hot that no one seemed to care. They were, I don't care, I don't care. And I remember that auction at- So we're just going to have beanbags. Oh, yeah. And it was really well presented as well, right? The other house that I'm comparing it to was sold around about the same time and it was nowhere near as well presented, but it was quite equivalent um, in terms of being a weatherboard cottage, similar size block of land, and actually had a better floor plan, but just wasn't quite as well presented. And so that property that I sold, the pretty one with the small living area, that went gangbusters at auction. It's one of those auctions, and I remember there's a few that I sold over the six years that I sold property where I'd have to walk away because I couldn't, I had a ScoMo smirk on my face. <laughs> you know, like I can't even do it. It was just so, oh my God, I can't believe what these people are paying. Um, and unfortunately, those people though, they went to sell. Um, they needed to sell, I think about 18 months later because they moved to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And they came to me and I'm like, oh dear, I knew they were not going to get back their money. Mm. And Oh, it was excruciating because that's the worst thing as a sales agent. Because we used to joke in the office, God, I hope they don't want to sell that too soon. That was actually a joke. Oh, yes, yeah, you know? which is not, it's it's not a joke on them. It's just a, it's it's an honest reflection on what they had what to pay in paid. that marketplace. Yeah. And also what they paid it for, like what type of property as well. You know, mm, we mm. always knew which ones would sell well again, which ones like, wow, that was a fluke. You know, we did yeah, a great job for our yeah. owner, for our vendor, because that's yep. who we were looking after back then. But back then, yep. So yeah, before I jumped the fence. So, but anyway, fast forward, they had a, it was a four-year period of time. So they ultimately sold in 2007. The market started recovering a little bit, but it certainly hadn't recovered um, to the same heights for them to get that price back. Mm. The other little one that wasn't quite as pretty but very very comparable in any other way and but had a better living space, it also sold in 2007 mm. and it sold for it actually sold for more than those people paid and they hadn't really done too much to it 
And the one that I sold originally, they sold at a loss. So two houses, two quite similar in many respects um, in the same suburb, One purchase, both purchased at the peak, mm. you know, really close to the peak. Mm-hmm. One sold at a loss four years later, the other one sold for a gain four mm-hmm. years later, two houses. So this is what I'm trying to point out that, you know, you've got to be so careful, A, what you pay, yes, but it was really about the asset, the problem mm. with the asset. Well, and, and if you can overcome that, if their plan was to do a large renovation that actually changed um, the, the, the objection mm. that was there, which is a small living area, if that was the plan, that that, that actually can be turned into an A-grade asset. Yeah. But if it had, you know, the western rear and the overland flow <laughs> and the big block of units next door looking straight into the yard, these are not things that you can change with any and- amount of money. True. And in fact, in this particular case, you couldn't change it mainly because um, it was already maxed out. Right. So, so it yeah, reaches potential. The planning, the planning laws or, or regulations to that local council had, you know, specified how much um, the floor space ratio it's called, mm. FSR, and it was already, you know, at that that's or it. over that. Right. So that's so it. So you can't no. overcome that objection. That's, no. that's, a, that's a no-go zone. Done. That's a flop. Done like a dog's dinner. So, <laughs> but but the reason for sharing that now is really to say that that both of those both of those people bought it at the, at the peak, right at when the market was about to turn. And so, when that's your biggest fear that oh my god, what if I overpay? Yes, mm. you do not want to overpay. So you need to do the little mini course we've got if you haven't already done it, how to price a property. Mm-hmm. So you definitely don't want to overpay, but it does very much come down to the, the quality asset. Yeah, and look, we want to make you. We want to make you. We want to help you. I'm not going to make you do anything. I want to make you. I want to make you make the right decisions. No, (laughs) help help. you. I want to help you make good property decisions, and sometimes that means buying, and other times it doesn't. We just don't want people to refrain or stop themselves from buying for the wrong reasons. So you've got to get your head out of the out of the uh, forecasts and, and and get away from the media and. Don't ask the Uber driver. Um, in fact, don't even tell them that you're looking at thinking about buying. <laughs> you need to you need to actually surround yourself with the right people who will guide you in the right way in any given market, and not get caught in the noise. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.